Hello, welcome back to the 831 Podcast, episode 38, I believe, yeah, episode 38. Thank you very much for tuning in again, guys, thank you very much for listening. Um, a little bit of a gap, but like I said, I'm going to try and get these more frequent. Christmas is coming up, I've got a few booked in ready to go, so I should be able to put these out for you. Um, yeah, not really much housekeeping, you, uh, you guys know where we're at, basically. Always looking for new guests, so if you have anybody in mind who you think would be a good guest, hit me up with a message and we'll try and get them on. Or share this, tag people, you know, just hit a tag and say, oh, so-and-so, I think you'd be amazing in, on this podcast and I'll do my best to work with them and get them on. Um, yeah, other than that, usual sponsors as always, Trojan Fitness, uh, Trojan Nutrition Bristol, Sweatbox Bristol, Pedro Bassa BJJ, A Free Academy where I teach and train. Um, oh, plethora. Like I'll, I'll try and add as many links in as I can do. Um, always looking for sponsors. Always looking for new guests. But in the meantime, yeah, this is episode thirty eight, and it's with Tim Howell. Tim is a adventure athlete, base jumper, wingsuit base jumper, um, skydiver etc great guy to talk to really fun um nice little hour and 20 minutes or so so hopefully guys can get this done in in one hit the last one was like a long one three hours or something so hopefully you guys can get this one done in one hit i love talking to him he's a really switched on guy and has a good perspective of base jumping what he does why he does it his military background etc etc so yeah, without further ado, I guess um you guys should listen to the eight three one podcast, episode thirty eight. Tim Howell, thank you very much. Okay, and we should be live and recording. Um, can you hear me? Okay, there, buddy. Yeah, man, it's uh, loud and clear. Okay, so Tim Howell, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks for having me, man. Um, so, for people who maybe don't know who you are, and for all those people who do know who you are, just a quick, what, if you were going to introduce yourself at like a dinner party or something, what would you lead with? What would you I, hi, I'm Tim. I'm... <laughs> yeah, I have no idea, man. I get that question all the time, and I'm like, I don't know really what I do for work, and I don't really know how to introduce myself. Um, I'm a, a climbing base jumper and I've been trying to make that my living for the last three years but uh yeah in, in between stints of offshore and yeah selling my body for hire just uh whatever goes mate <laughs> I uh I know exactly what you mean like I, I have on my a lot of my profiles like pro MMA fighter base jump adventure athlete and I'm just like what yeah what do I say because I don't want to be forced to be labeled and I guess if you were going to label me something it would maybe be pro mma fighter because that's probably how i'm best known but i'm like it's not it's just a one small part of what i do and looking at yourself you're like uh yeah yeah you're like i would say you're an adventurer but of course that, that's just going to lead to well what does that do so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you i mean the yeah i mean so are, uh, i got married um i got married in in january and um and like they they take they took us into separate rooms like my my wife and myself and they kind of cross reference all the information like you know where does he live where do you live what the jobs are and I said for my job uh, I was a rope access technician 
And my wife said for a job, I was an adventure athlete. And I was like, we're, we're going to get married. You can't have it on the certificate that I'm an adventure athlete. But yeah, that's all what that, went down in the end. All that says to me is that your missus has got a much higher opinion of what you are. Than <laughs> Potentially. But then she gets really annoyed when I just sit around in the house when the weather's bad and I can't get out. So, so your, your, yeah. uh, your, your, wedding propo- your marriage proposal was pretty interesting, right? That was pretty full on. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it started um, on the edge of a cliff, Cape Town, Table Mountain. Uh, and you got to scramble down to the to the edge to to be able to jump off. So we thought we were we were quite hidden from view. Um, but it turns out like when I when I got down on one knee and she said yes, like that huge crowd behind us like erupted and started clapping. I was ah oh, this is <laughs> unexpected, but yeah pretty cool. <laughs> so we both jumped off together, and we kind of flew a, a flight pattern. And uh, maybe three kilometers away, two kilometers away, there's a there's a rugby field. So that's like perfect landing, you know, and um, we didn't make it that far. <laughs> so either under canopy, I saw her like just spank into the ground and, and almost like bounce off. And I, I was still under canopy. So I was still maybe 100 meters above her. So I could just see that she had a bad landing. So I landed near her and, uh, and she was crying, usual tears. And I thought oh, maybe a sprained ankle or something. But I went up to her and I, I saw that I was like, there was blood coming out of the zip on the wingsuit on her leg. And I thought, this, this isn't good. Yeah, <laughs> this is pretty full on. So I unzipped it and the, her whole shin just went, bleh, just, oh. just the skin just came off. But I, I could see the whole, whole um, bone. So I knew it wasn't an open fracture. It was just literally just like, just sheared off the skin. So, but she wasn't bleeding out. She wasn't in that much pain. So I ripped off my top and I bandaged, bandaged it, put the skin back up <laughs> and bandaged it together. And spent like the next two, two hours, like Feynman's carrying her off, off the mountain back to the nearest car. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was pretty full. <laughs> we lost the engagement ring. Well, oh. I, I lost the engagement ring when she went into surgery. Lost the GoPro with the footage, which uh, it's always good to see some carnage footage, isn't it? You always. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that's so, yeah, it. That's, uh, it's a good start. It's, it's a good start. I mean, start as you mean to go on, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, she still says it was the best holiday yet. So uh, yeah, it was it was a uh, it was a busy day. Definitely exactly. won't forget it. That's for sure. Is that how you and her met? You met through this or you met and then you got her into it or she got you into it? How did you two come about meeting? So we met um, skydiving. She used to um, skydive. She's been an instructor at the weekends in Madrid. Um, And I just finished a deployment in the Royal Marines. So I had like, I think a month or two months off. So I really wanted just to hammer in the skydiving. So I went to this drop zone um, and I... (laughs) I was quite new to the drop zone, quite new to, to wingsuiting. And I, I jumped out of the plane and I opened my wing too soon and nearly hit the tail of the plane. Yeah. And because she was the instructor, she was the one told to go and sort out this Englishman that's about to destroy the two million pound plane. <laughs> uh, so I got, a, I got a talking to. <laughs> and it went from there. So. Wow. Is, um, people, I think people sort of, I know they sort of think that, that, wingsuit flying is difficult but 
I don't think they realised the complexity of stepping up suits and stuff. I remember I had, um, I think I had four wingsuit, wingsuit skydives and I was doing like, a, I went oh, to nice. America for nine days and I uh, I just stayed a year. So I had like four wingsuit skydives. Yeah. And uh, then we went to, so I jumped like a, a, a phantom, like a small suit, first of all. And then yeah. so we, went to, yeah. um, we went to Paris and my buddies are like, listen, I got a wingsuit you can borrow. You can just use this ghost. How many wingsuit skydives have you got? I was, like, I was like, well, I've got like four, but I've got like 500 skydives. They're like, what do you think? I was like, well, I'll, I'll jump it. I'm not, I'll jump it. And uh, yeah. so I'm like, okay, cool. So we go and we, so the first flight on this ghost is like a, um, a eight man formation flight. They're all on like big suits. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, wicked. They're like, you go out first. I was like, yeah, okay. So I, I exit, open a bit soon. But luckily, avoid the plane, but just tumble straight away. And all I can see is them all just coming out, just piling out the plane. I just keep tumbling, spin. GoPro comes off my head. Like, I must have hit it with something. So GoPro's <laughs> falling off my head. So I didn't even get get a video of it. I lost that. Yeah. And then they were like, how'd you find that suit? I was like, it's tricky, but I'll give it another go. So I like, <laughs> exited with it again. I flew it perfect the second time. I was like... Oh, man, that, that's different, really different. So people, I think people yeah. think you just jump out the plane and hold your suit open sure. and you're flying. Yeah, yeah. So the, the first time I um, I went wingsuit skydiving, I only had a hundred skydives, and and I know now I, I rushed into it. Like I took a another hundred skydives until I got a, a wingsuit back on, but it was an it was a baby wingsuit. Like it didn't even have a full arm. It had like half an arm, so you you held them on like this. So I jumped out with the instructor and he said, oh, I'm just going to be behind you the whole way. Just fly normally, fly, fly a pattern. And we went through some clouds and I started feeling some turbulence and I was like rocking backwards and forwards to the point where I started doing cartwheels, <laughs> literally just going like that. Vroom, 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 till it sped up and sped up and my ditter was going for the altitude. So finally pulled, but I pulled as I was doing a cartwheel. So I did a flip through the risers. Oh. So now my rise are twisted. So I landed off. I landed like miles away in a field somewhere. And uh, I got back and I thought, oh, I'm going to get a talking to from uh, from this coach now. And he said, oh, man, your flight looked really good, but I lost you when I went through the clouds. So I thought it would be safe if we just stayed apart. And he was like, how was it? Like, was it, did it go smoothly apart from landing off? And I was like, yeah, 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 really good, mate. Let's, let's do level two. <laughs> I think I did two more flights. I was like, no, I'm not. This is too much for me. This is, yeah. yeah. That's awesome. But it's so, it's so true what you say. Like pe- people, people look at it and like, oh, that's easy. Just, just jump out and, and fly. But I think a lot of people ask me the question, you know, what are the chances if, if I, with no experience, got a wingsuit on, jumped off a cliff? What, what are the chances? Oh. And, and somebody did this. I, th- I think it was last year. Um, it was a French Foreign Legion guy, and he was obviously a little bit tapped. He thought he could get away with it, put on, put on the biggest suit he could, uh, jumped a cliff in Italy, and that was it. One job done. Yeah. Make I a mean, hole I in can't, the ground. So. I, I can't see that you're going to be able to probably fly a tracking suit on your first ever attempt off of it. So to put on something like a freak or something, you're like, yeah. come on. like. But yeah. it's, it's, I'm yeah, more it's... shocked that that's not a story about a Russian than I am. This. <laughs> most, of the, most of the crazy stories I've heard about base jumping, um, from me base yeah. jumping, most of the crazy stuff I've seen 
it's Russian. So that's what shocked oh, me most about that story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so, so there was a Ukrainian that was on the, that thought he could do the same, just buy, not wingsuit, but thought he could buy a rig on eBay. Yeah. Uh, apparently it came packed. So he was like, ah, oh, quid's in. Like, I don't have to learn how to pack. <laughs> One jump, it was from a building, and that, that was it. That was uh, game over. So. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, people, I mean, obviously people understand base is dangerous but i think also it like oh well you jump off a building and throw this and like the amount of people who you talk to and you start talking to them and they think that you pull a lever to fire a, a canopy or something and you're like this is enough you yeah. really need to go and get a train they're like yeah but i'll just jump and i'll pull the lever and i'm like you definitely need pull to get the lever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well people they're the same wingsuit the amount of people that think you land a wingsuit yeah, and I mean, obviously Gary did it into the boxes, but yeah. you're yeah. like, even talking to him about that jump, like he said, he didn't know he was going to do like land in the boxes until like he was sub pulling level. He said all the time he was thinking, this might not work, this might not work. So even like top experienced guys are like, yeah, this this is stupid. So when you get the public, are like, oh, so how'd you land it? Like with with a parachute. Yeah. Yeah it's, yeah. yeah, it's nuts. It is nuts. There was a video for um, is a I think it was like a, a aftershave company called World of Wingman or something like that, and they faked a video of somebody landing in water. Yes, I remember it, that video. You, you could tell it's fake. Like if you spent a little, a few minutes thinking about it, you'd be like, yeah, that's fake. They cut from the flight to landing the water, and you don't actually see the impact or anything. You're like, come on. But so many people thought that was genuine and like, oh, yeah, what about that guy who landed in the water? I'm like, no, that didn't happen. It yeah. definitely didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, it's there's, there's of... been a few other people that survived, like into trees, into snow. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably about four people that unintentionally have, have landed the wingsuit and survived. And then another handful that survived, you know, a while before they, uh, yeah, they paid the... But there's probably, there's probably more people who have died under a perfectly good canopy than have survived. Oh, sure. not, you know, like even when it all goes yeah. absolutely perfectly, people still die. So the fact that you're yeah. thinking you can land a, a, a wingsuit, yeah, it's. I mean, that, they're they're yeah. the outliers. They're and they're the people who are never oh. going to do it twice. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, got away <laughs> with that. I'll try that next time. Yeah. <laughs> So there was, there was a rumor going that uh, Jeb Corliss was putting like one and a half million dollars into uh, making a ramp that that met his glide ratio, so he could run it out in the wingsuit and like just you know like, kind of like a a big uh, mega ramp on the skateboard, just like really smoothly hit the landing and then just run it out into I don't know foam or whatever. And then Gary Connolly came along and was just like, "Make me fifty thousand cardboard boxes, I'll land in them." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah yeah he, he won that race yeah definitely it's uh i was talking me, me and gary were talking about a, a project uh in bristol as well um but it got shut down but um because like jamie yeah, Flynn was the cameraman that. on the cardboard boxes and jay i've done one of these with jamie he's a good friend of mine jamie flynn so we did a he did a podcast I with know jamie yeah yeah, yeah he, um so he me him and i met during my crazy fucking year in america 
And uh, so we yeah. jumped Turkey Boogie a lot. And then we jumped all, like, just, I would just be traveling. And if he was in America or Canada, we'd hit each other. We we went to the Chief. We jumped the Chief together in uh, Vancouver. And have you jumped the Chief? In Squamish. In Squamish, yeah. No, man, I haven't been over that way. I've been meaning well, it's to. Got, um, it's got possibly the biggest, best landing opportunity ever. It's like a massive truck lay-by. So, I mean, I, yeah, I like low yeah. urban stuff. So I've landed in between cars in San Diego, like just, you know, usual low urban stuff. So yeah. this has got... What, what building did you jump in San Diego? The one that everyone jumped around by the homeless people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> landed in between and tents. And all stuff. the homeless people on crack, just like, oh, God has arrived. <laughs> yeah, just wait, waiting in between police vehicles jump off and then you've yeah. just got loads of homeless people cheering you on yeah so i jumped yeah. out a few times. Yeah. um but yeah we were in squamish in that big this landing's probably 200 meters long by 50 meters wide it's just a massive truck yeah. label oh, this is perfect and i catch my corner cell on the only lamppost which should i should <laughs> never have been there just caught my corner cell and just like wrapped around the lamppost like that and jamie's oh, got shit. Jamie's got this little clip. He comes in and lands after me. And he looks up. He's like, well, who would land there? <laughs> I'm like, hanging, <laughs> hanging on the lamppost. I had to pull a van over so I could lower myself off. He's like, who would land there? I was like, fuck it. Me. <laughs> me. Yeah, Jamie's a... I Jamie's a yeah, I, I did an urban jump the other day. Well, a while ago in, where was it? Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And my friend landed. But his canopy drooped over... A lamppost so like nothing was damaged but you're like you're stuck now because like i think you had to cut a few lines or something yeah yeah like the the quick getaway is completely ruined because you're like (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so um you touched uh you touched earlier that you are former military um i guessing because you were marine that didn't lead to any jumping so what was like the the transition what made you think like oh yeah actually this is what i want to do did you see base and think that's where i want to go or were you just like oh i'd like to jump out of a plane yeah it was i started skydiving just before i joined the military so even during training i was like nipping away at weekends to get jumps done and you know while everyone else was having a weekend of rest with their missus i was like I was off to Italy and Spain for the weekend and stuff. So it was, it, it kind of happened alongside the military, but skydiving was a means to the end for me of, of base jumping. I never really wanted to continue skydiving. Um, but I suppose it all came from climbing. Like I've been climbing for a lot longer than I've been jumping. And just the places where I've climbed, I've always seen base jumpers. So like in Tonsai in Thailand, you know, it's a really famous climbing spot, but also now after KL, everyone heads to, to Tonsai to jump. And then Italy, I did a, a big wall route where I was like sleeping on the wall at 500 meters up on like a little ledge and like five in the morning getting wingsuits past, past me, you know, like a wake up call. Like it was like, it was like, yeah, that's definitely, definitely on the list now. I don't so know. I don't know who I'd rather be in that scenario, the wingsuit or the guy seeing him fly past, because that's that's an amazing perspective of wingsuit yeah, when you're that close and they're coming by. And I think I'd yeah. rather be the guy watching. Yeah, like the, the first few that went past, like we just heard the noise and we we're like, what, what's going on? Like, you know, and it was, yeah, like you, you must know Brento. Like Brento's a, not, 
a good place to learn like it's it's a student friendly exit so having jumped that place a hundred times i think i'd much rather be you know in the unique position halfway up a wall watching people jump past you now it's it's uh yeah it was pretty cool for sure um but yeah i, I jumped a little bit with with the military over the years like no military jumps um but you know for competitions and displays and adventure training and stuff like that so it definitely helped but um but also going on deployment not not in afghan i, I didn't take my base rig to afghan but uh <laughs> you know on, on ship and and training around the world i always took my base rig so i managed to jump in some really cool places just because you have a little bit of r and r at the end of your trip so it was uh yeah it was pretty yeah, it, it helped me out you know <laughs> yeah i mean that's uh obviously uh, it's weird that base a base attracts a lot of uh, military guys, as you obviously know, and training like, yeah. in America and stuff. And you see a lot of guys come through or military guys. And I don't know. Um, people always assume that it's. I, I think when you hear, I mean, I'm not a military guy, but I think what people assume is that it's. Uh, oh yeah, well, after you've been to a war zone, after you've been a, you need something else mental and something else crazy. And I'm like, I don't think that's what it is. I think it's just that it's an escapism like no other and it's because for me yeah base base jumping is not a rush for me people are like oh, it must be such a rush and i'm like eh, i I, I like the i like the fact that we've all hiked up a mountain together and we've all chatted and we've all checked each other on exit and i like the camaraderie yeah. side of it the actual jump the feeling never gets any better or any worse but you just once you you exit you exit so for for me, yeah. I think that a lot of base jumpers aren't doing anything for the rush. It's more the uh, like the adventure and the you know. You, I guess for someone like yeah. yourself, you can you can speak to this obviously a lot better than I can. Um, if you've been and seen action in these places like Afghan and something, um, when you come to do your base jumping, I guess it's more just of just an, uh, being in that mental space of it not being an adrenaline rush, not being crazy, not being hectic. It's just the mental like. It's probably just the deep breath that you get in between the chaos. Yeah, man, sense. for sure. I, yeah, you're so you're so right there, man. Like the the amount of times where I've, you know, not not to say that all jumps are, uh, you know, super calm and it's just yeah. nice to be jumping. Like some definitely are a rush, but that's normally when things go wrong. Yeah. But I don't think it should be that rush either. Like I I I teach a few courses each year. And like, if you've got a student that's on the exit point trying to psych himself up and like, you know, come on, yeah, it's like, it's not the place to be. Like, that's not the sort of frame of mind that you want to be in to, to be doing something. You want your, you know, your mind completely clear, you know, and you're just focused on the job. And, and when you're calm and relaxed, you, that's when you know it's, it's good to jump. And, uh, but it's, yeah, it's it's definitely a hard one. There are there are some jumps where you're buzzing. <laughs> it is a <laughs> pretty full on. So are we? Is I, we I think for me, I like I like the challenge, you know, of like of mitigating that risk. Yeah. You know, that's as you say, the camaraderie and everything is is it's all part of it, and the journey to get to the exit point. But it's for me trying to find a jump or trying to find a challenge, and you're like to begin with, yeah, that's pretty full on. But then you do like the training and and get to the level, the skill level, where you can, you know, pull it off safely. Yeah, so, so Jeff Shapiro was saying, um, 
Jeff Shapiro came on there and Jeff was saying that for him, some of his best exits are just by his house, undiscovered. He just goes for a walk, finds it, looks at it a couple of times, goes back, gets his rig, goes up on his own, never records it, never tells anyone, just does it because it's more of the, I've, I've calculated everything myself. I've calculated the landing. I've yeah. checked wind direction, scoped on Google Earth and stuff. He said, and it's just, it's just the, the, the challenge of I can hike here and I can exit where someone's probably never exited before mm. and it's just really personal to me and then that takes away the the crazy I mean we lots of people who are the the crazy guys usually get weeded out or end up hurt so but then That's you know, yeah exactly you we know that but from the outside looking in people I mean it's the same with MMA like people people think you're crazy because you fight in a cage and it's like what you're what you're not seeing is the hours of work in a yeah. gym preparing for all different scenarios. If I'm on my back in this position, if I'm on my front in this position, if I'm stood up here, and if I'm yeah. and that's what people don't really see. I think people think that base jumpers and adventure athletes turn up to a crazy place, do a crazy thing, it's that's it, go home and go, Woo, we're crazy, dude. And that you yeah. know <laughs> but then when they speak like Yeah, like, no, yeah people like, don't see it. Uh, behind the scenes you know it's like an instagram lifestyle where you just like you see what's in front of you for 10 seconds and you make judgments on that yeah. but um yeah i mean every, every time I, I i something goes uh in the media you know in the daily fail love that sort of shit but uh every time it goes into newspapers and stuff i always try and make a point of like how much training and how much effort goes into it because straight away you're going to get this backlash which obviously i just look over it goes over my head now but you're going to get this backlash of people saying like you know armchair warriors just oh the strain on the nhs when he breaks himself or think of the rescuers that are going to have to get him and it's not it's not a stunt you know the amount of time that we've we spent preparing for these things it's yeah yeah yeah, yeah and i mean the thing is is but, so how many times have you had to have uh, air rescue come out and take you off a mountain for an injury or anything uh, I, I make it a point that I'm only ever going to call air rescue if I am about to die. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like so, I've got myself out of some tricky situations. So, so like none, right? But how many people? No, hikers, none. How many hikers are getting lost on the mountains? They're not even injured, and they're calling in air rescue or search and rescue yeah. just because they're lost in the fog or they're at an altitude that they're scared yeah. they're not going to get down from. So I think uh, it's. The, the outside perception but at the same time it's not up to it's not up to you to justify or or to satisfy other people's no. perception you just do what you do you <laughs> do your being and then hopefully yeah. people on the outside listen to things like this and they think oh actually no yeah i've got a lot of friends that are um that are mountain rescue volunteers or or paramedics and stuff and they they always i ask them these questions you know because i want to hear it from their point of view you know i asked them if i got stuck on a mountain you know doing the sport for absolutely no reason there's no reason for me to be jumping off cliffs you know what what is your thought about spending these you know the volunteer time and effort and money into coming saving me and he says the problem that we have is people who are unprepared as you say the hikers the 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 people walking up ben nevis with flip-flops on you know those are the people that we can avoid you know they're they're not prepared they don't know what they're doing but i'd like to think after 
seven years of base jumping, I I, I, I kind of know what I'm doing, and it's it's yeah. as much it's as much as prepared as prepared as I could be. So yeah, yeah exactly. it's a different different catfish. Exactly. So yeah. wingsuit base is your that's your gig, or you prefer is that the, that's the facet that you? I mean, I like low urban stuff because I like to think I'm James Bond. So it's yeah. about sneaking past people, <laughs> the climbing cranes, and the picking locks. I yeah. love that side of it. Um, and because I think because I paraglide and because I fly birds of prey, I spend a lot of time walking outdoors and spend a lot of time flying off mountains. So wingsuit base is not. It doesn't. I'm not drawn to it so much as I yeah. am low urban stuff, you know, not because I'm stupid. I want to jump off the lowest building. I just, I want to pick locks. I want to crawl past security. Yeah, past it's all wild, isn't it? yeah exactly. Yeah. But, yeah, um, man. So, no, I, like my jumps are half, half, like literally half, half. So like half wingsuiting and half slider down low stuff. So I, yeah, completely love it both. Like the miss is just wingsuits. Yeah. Um, just wingsuit base jumps now so that she, she, she only does that she doesn't she's not interested in the in the slider down stuff but i'm slowly converting her um, <laughs> I, I thought you were gonna say like, on like, every time you go on a trip huh? <laughs> i thought you were gonna say yeah so i'm happy with that i'm talking out of her she can grind crew you're like i'm slowly converting her <laughs> get the missus jumping as well no i mean i mean if, if you know what you're doing like if you don't really fuck it up by like putting your bridle through your leg strap or something, like who's died doing slider down? Yeah, nobody, mate. Nobody. I mean, so like a, a bad off head in uh, could possibly kill you, but I mean slider down exits are generally if you're switched on, good kit checks, jump with yeah. a good partner. They're uh, I mean I I yeah. love them because the adventure and they're sneaky and stuff, but. They're, I'm not going to use the S word because they're not relatively S in any way, but they, uh, yeah, the, the the injuries are not what you would see in in wingsuit base, definitely. No, exactly, man. I, I, I just, like she often takes a, a piece. Of, like if we're in the middle of a trip, like in some foreign land, and there's like big landing, beautiful cliff, she'll take a PCA. She'll take a, for, yeah. for the viewers, you know, an assisted parachute opening jump like we've, we've done that in like kenya and jordan just like a one-off and, you, and you're not gonna get you know with a decent body position and, and wind conditions you're not gonna get off heading so so i'm like i think she should do more of those sort of things you know to to i don't know just experience these jumps all around the world the places that we travel it's uh tick those countries off you know i know i completely um, agree and it's uh I, I love it I, it's super exciting so she's it's a big part of the sport that she's missing out on if she doesn't so i agree with you yeah i do yeah agree. that's what i feel man yeah yeah, yeah the side it just opens of, a lot more isn't it yeah yeah no exactly the uh the side of your life that i'm not so familiar with is climbing i've never really been into climbing i haven't climbed like a lot i boulder a bit at the local bouldering center or something yeah. And that, that more comes from time for me because I do so many things. Um, I've not really yeah. been climbing. And people always assume, like, oh, do you climb? I'm like, no, nah, I don't. And I feel like I, I feel like I'm cheating by not climbing because all all good guys, like all good base jumpers and stuff, they all climb. And I feel like I've missed out on this big, <laughs> big thing that I don't do. But you, I mean, you climb is a big part of your life, right? Yeah, man. I mean, 
that's kind of what led to the, to the jumping in the first place, you know, is, and now being able to combine the two is, is what really makes, like, is, is where my ambition really lies is like trying to find these climbs that you can, you can only jump if you get to climb them, you know, towers and spires and huge mountain exits where you've, where you've got to get your ice axes and, and climb up these, these mountains. So it's, yeah, and, and then Eva's slowly getting more into this mountaineering side of things as well. So I always think that, you know, I'd, if I had to choose one, climbing or jumping, I'd choose climbing. And I think climbing's a lot more sustainable. You know, I don't, I, I want to be jumping and climbing forever. But at the moment, you know, t things change and maybe five years, 10 years time, I'm like, I can't be jumping anymore. So, so it's good to have another, another little sport, another little hobby to, to look to. But, so where, where have you climbed? What's yeah. Man. Where have you, uh, what, 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 uh, what sort of places do you think like, like, I mean, I've been to Yosemite and stuff and I've done, done stuff there and I've seen climbers there and I, I think like that yeah. is amazing, you know? So I, like it's nice to know people's like catalog of like oh I've got this one I've hit this I've climbed this <laughs> yeah and like so I, I do kind of like in base jumping where I do like all the different disciplines like low stuff wingsuing um is that, that's pretty much the two disciplines <laughs> right. I, I, I don't track but I, I love all jumps you know I love all the different types of jumps but with with climbing I I I'm not very good, but I do all the different disciplines from bouldering to ice climbing, aid climbing, big wall, multi-pitch sport, trad, um, mixed climbing. You know, it's, I, I do a lot of the different disciplines. So it's, but I think for me, when I when I go to a foreign country, it's for me it's really cool to find like a big wall climb that you know takes maybe two days to climb. So it's kind of like the really obscure, weird climbs that probably nobody's done for 50 years sort of thing. Like, so it, when we went to Mozambique, we did a climb that had only been done once before. Um, Malawi did the longest rock climb in Africa, which I think was 1,700 meters, took us two days. Wow. Um, and then alpine climbing, things like the north face of the Eiger. Um, at the moment, I've got a project that's been last that lasted five years so far. So we'll see if it gets done soon. But but I've got, I've got two left. So the idea is to climb this. There's six great north faces of the Alps, which are like six famous north faces, um, and they've all got jumps on them apart from one. Um, but nobody's climbed them and jumped them. Um, yeah. So it's things like the Eiger, the Matterhorn. Grand Jurass, Pisbadil, Trashim, and missing one. Yeah, missing one. But there's six. <laughs> um, and they're all they're all like really quite technical climbs. And uh, it's it's quite strange. Like the North Face of the Eiger was so far for me the most challenging climb, but it's the easiest jump. So it's it's a weird link up between them. I'm trying to find the. Uh, the conditions to jump in and yeah it's been been good but yeah two left so we'll see if i can get them done next year cluck, cluck. i'm not mass i'm not brilliant with heights which people don't really people find weird because i base jump a skydive it's I a common thing though mate. yeah yeah so for me the, the the scariest bit is sleeping on the wall like uh, to sleep on a wall on, a, on like a makeshift yeah. ledge but even now, like I can feel my hands getting sweaty thinking about sleeping on a makeshift <laughs> ledge 
on the I mean obviously it's just because I have no experience of it and I know the more you do it and the more you rely on your uh, yeah. rely on stuff you'll get better with it but it does mm. it freaks me out like I mean I'm sure you've probably been on the wet on the ledge and like the wind's picked up or something and you can like the wind's rattling the side and you're like I just imagine being like I'm not gonna sleep I'm gonna be awake all night. I tell you what though if if you're tired you'll sleep anywhere <laughs> like if you're tired enough I think I learned that from the military just like you can sleep anywhere but yeah. uh but yeah you have to be at that point where you just like you're too tired to care. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I know what you mean. I, um, go ahead, mate. I um, so you you keep saying military. Where did you serve? Me? How long were you in? Uh, I left three years ago now. Uh, served for about seven years. Um, and I I don't regret leaving, but I I definitely miss it, you know. But it it was time for me to to be self employed, do what I want to do when I want to do it. And uh, I I don't, haven't looked back at that sort of aspect of it. Like, um, but yeah, I had I felt like I had a really really good career. Did a did a little stint in in Afghan, um, then joined the Mountain Leader um, branch, uh, went into a reconnaissance troop, um, and it's just you know people join the military because they want to see action. Yeah, it's, yeah. You know, it's it's how it is. It's the, the recruitment rates go through the roof when something's kicking off, you know, and I, I joined as Afghan was kicking off and I, you know, when, when everything's quiet again, they have problems recruiting people and everyone's leaving because they don't, they don't see anything. You know, your job, if nothing's happening, is training. Yeah. So, it's, you know, you want to put that training to use. Um, but yeah, I, I did a really, did a year was well, six months, but a year draft on a HMS Protector, which is an ice-breaking ship that goes down to to the Antarctica. Um, so that was an amazing experience that I kind of won't have the opportunity to do as a civilian because you know it would cost a lot of money to go to Antarctica. But um, yeah, I had had my base rig with me, so I'm a climbing rig, and we'd resupply in South Africa or Rio or Uruguay and and chilly so i got got to see some got to jump in some really cool places as well so that was that was a really good trip to to finish off my career really it's like the that's like you've had like the best experience of being in the military really from what the signs of it are like you've seen some action you've been you've covered the bits there you've gone on adventures with it you've traveled you've you've come out like you're still fully abled you've like it seems yeah. to me that from the outside you've had the best experience because like it was a it's something that I thought about early on in my life and then my my girlfriend at the time got pregnant when I was like seventeen and I was like, Oh, I'm not going mm. off to war now when I got you know, I got a daughter to think about. So uh yeah. yeah, I hear like people like your stories and you just think like that you've made you've made the most of it. Like you've done you've done the best and yeah. the best, you know. I th- I think you gotta yeah, you you gotta make the most of it, don't you? Like <laughs> the yeah. opportunities are there, so you gotta you gotta step up and and uh, get what you want, you know. I, I remember I did near near the end when I was working in uh, in Scotland, we we had to take some some hierarchy, some London bigwigs out on the mountain, 
I remember chatting to one and, and he was telling asking me about my uh, my career like what I had done and he said oh you've had a really lucky career and I said it's, it's not luck you know like you put in and you get out yeah like, what, what you put in is what you get out so it's it's not luck at all. Like I made these things happen. People don't come up to me and just just say, "This is what you're doing." You know, well done. Like you put effort in. You know, and I was, exactly. I was almost insulted. Like, what do you mean, good life, <laughs> career? Like, yeah, it's almost like I hadn't worked at all for you know to get into the mountain leader branch or to get into this commando unit that went to Afghan. It's like just just happened, mate. I was like. Yeah. <laughs> I think people yeah. people think but that. I suppose that's that's like fighting, like going going into the into the cage. Like I'm sure people say, you know, you know, wish you luck, but as if to say that all your training and all your knowledge and experience just counts for nothing, and it's luck that's going to get get you through. It's if like, I had to rely on if I had to rely on luck, all I do is work on my cardio. If I was relying on luck, I'd just yeah. get hit. You know, I um people. I mean, I've had quite a quite a a good career in MMA in that. I've traveled everywhere. I've cornered at every big show. I've been at every big show. I've fought on the big shows. and But then people are like, oh, you've been lucky. I'm like, well, not really. I started a gym and invested all my money that I had into a gym, developed a fight go, team. Yeah, developed a fight team all over the world. The gym lost to me thousands and thousands of pounds. But in that meantime, I traveled all over the world, took the most of the opportunities I had, and the fight team did the same. So luck luck didn't come into it in any way shape or form because someone brings yeah. you with an opportunity you either say yes or no that, that's there's no luck up until the point the phone rings is where the luck ends yeah yeah, yeah so, man I, I've, I've got a lot to say about luck because it's i just don't think it has any place like you know every decision you make has a knock-on effect whether that's like a subliminal or subconscious sort of decision or message or something that you're taking in so even something that you might might think is luck i don't think at the end of the day is and like every accident in base jumping i can't think of one that's not human error or you know because human error is decision making yeah so like my friend had had a line twist and he had the option of like rapids landing in these rapids which was you know not going to be a good result landing in uh, power lines obviously not good or landing in a tree he landed in the tree broke both his ankles and uh, and everyone's like oh it's really good luck that you you landed there and, it, and i'm thinking it's not like even if it's split second decision making he made the choice to land in that tree and he broke his ankles instead of drowning or getting fried by the pylon so it's like i don't i don't think luck has much to play and even deeper um, than that it's the preparation that's gone in the many hundreds of jumps before this allowed time to slow yeah. down that little bit more and you just get that sense of flow 100%. and it's just like shit's going wrong what's around me look left look right look ahead okay yeah. no object like no object fixation i know that's power lines left riser exactly. steer away from it right i've got trio yeah. rapids i definitely want rapids boom and that happens so quickly because you've allowed yourself to make You've allowed yourself to train for it hundreds. The guys who would just jump off, fly a wing, so we are eventually going to have an accident. You know, like I guess you've been flying a wingsuit, like proximity or otherwise or something, all the time. Been looking like, okay, if that went wrong, I could land there now. That's a nice little point there. Or you're not just there yeah. gliding to the bottom. You're all the time thinking about, oh, that, like, oh yeah, if this went wrong now, those trees there would be perfect, or those trees aren't very good because of this, or there's. Yeah. Pine- you know, all those times that you've done that, 
allow time to slow down. So the use of the word luck, I think, is like you say, I would agree with you, you know, it's just it's massively overused and discredits the work and training. Yeah, no, you're right. It discredits. Yeah, it's it's uh, I, I just every time somebody says, ah, oh, you know, good luck for that. And uh, I'd now. Oh, man, you got me. Oh, you're back. I was about to go downstairs and kick everyone off the internet, but you're back. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, that'd be, that'd be my, me, my, my end. So, uh, it's five o'clock, everyone's off the there. About to watch some porn instead. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, I think instead of wishing somebody luck, it should be, you know, it's a bit of a mouthful, but, you know, I, I wish that your experience pays off. You know, that, that sort of sh- yeah, should yeah. be more like that than wishing me luck. But, uh, yeah, exactly. But, yeah. I agree. So, you, I, I've known about you and followed your career for uh, a little while now, but I think one of the things that probably rose you to prominence is probably your your UK, the, the Scottish thing, right? So that, especially at home, maybe not around the world, but at home, that's quite a yeah. big deal. So do you want to tell people about that project? And is that is Exit Point, is that, is that the video that goes accompanied with that? Is it ex, uh, which one of No, I next? didn't really do a film. Yeah, I I had a few guys that wanted to make like a little documentary about the the Scottish thing, but it was it was really really technical for me, and I didn't really want the pressure. I didn't want any pressure because um, I I flew from Switzerland to Scotland just to do that jump, yeah. um, and I didn't even know whether it would work. So it was a really big time investment to to get there, hike up the mountain with a few friends and I might have just got there and lasered it and just been like, nah, it's not, not going to happen. Yeah. And there was, it was, you know, there's a lot of pressure already because I really wanted to, to do the first wingsuit jump and I really wanted the numbers to make sense. And, and if those numbers were borderline, am I more pressured into doing the jump anyway? Cause I, I'm there. So it was, if it was a big, <laughs> it was a big fucking moment for me to be honest. So I'm I'm glad I didn't have guys there with you know five cameras around me filming. Um, yeah. Just had one friend with his phone and, and another really good friend who's a photographer who I've worked with before and he's you know there's no pressure with him. So it's it was yeah it was a really good setup. But um, yeah it was it was uh, I I I count the, um, the the lockdown and and kind of the situation the Corona situation for actually helping me out there because. Because normally in the summer I'm off around the world doing, you know, climbing trips, expeditions and stuff. But there was none of that this year. So it was really just focusing on jumping and improving my consistency in the starts and the flights. And I got to a point where I was, I was confident enough to do this technical jump in Scotland. So it's, um, and, it, and it went without, you know, any glitches and it went a lot better than I thought it would. I had a, a lot more margin for error than I than I calculated. So, yeah. so for people who are uh, listening and aren't up on wingsuit, it's the first wingsuit exit um, in the UK on UK soil from uh, from. Uh, yeah, I think it's just the first wingsuit exit, isn't it, on UK soil? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've I've jumped from an antenna before. Yeah. Um, in a, in a wingsuit but it's it's not a flight you know it's not a 
um, it's, it's a bit of a one-off, you know. Yeah. So I, I really wanted to to find a cliff, and yeah, no nobody's ever done that before. Um, and it's yeah. So so I I did a little blog about it because you got a lot of questions from people that don't really you know know the the wingsuit and, and what what's involved. So you kind of need three or four things to to make a wingsuit exit happen. You need the overall vertical height to start the wingsuit. You need terrain underneath it to be steep enough to fly over. You need a landing, and then you need an overall height from exit to landing. And if that anything below 500 meters for an overall flight isn't really a wingsuit jump, you know, it's it's yeah. it's very short. You're going to get maybe 20, 30 seconds of wingsuit flight from it. So it's you know still a wingsuit jump, but it's it's a token effort you know so it was, it was nice to find this jump in scotland that ticked all those boxes so it was um and maybe there are more out there it's kind of opened what, my eyes a bit what was the scouting process did you you did you pass it and you thought oh hang on a minute or did you start looking specifically for the jump was it something you'd targeted you wanted to be the first person to do one on home soil how did it come about yeah so i'm i'm always looking for firsts um so I could, I've done the, the first wingsuit flight in Vietnam and the first ski base in the UK. and So I, I, I love that sort of process of being the first. But this one came about because a friend of mine jumped it um, with, without wingsuit. So he had uh, like a, a basic measurement of how high the initial cliff was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I asked him for that information. And then on Google Earth and Maps, you can kind of calculate uh, how steep the talus is, the ground underneath, and how far the landing is, and I thought ah, it might go, so it's kind of worth the trip. And then, yeah, then I got there. Um, we lasered properly. I didn't take my base rig up at all. I just wanted it to be like a reconnaissance day, just to, you know, kind of get your mind in the, uh, get your mind in, in the jump, and, and not have the pressure of having your rig there. Um, so I lasered it all up and spent the night just like crunching numbers, trying to figure out how much margin for error I would have. And uh, yeah, and then went back the next day and, and got it done. Uh, and it all went all went exactly as planned. Went nice and easy. Yeah, it was it was probably the best start in a wingsuit I'd ever had. I'd ever had. Yeah. Uh, had really good conditions. There was a little bit of thermals, headwind, which always helps in a wingsuit. Uh, landing was yeah it just went really really smoothly my friend was in the gully below and he was filming and he was expecting me to like be flying right past him because I you know that's all I'd have you know it, the, the margins were so tight he thought I'd be flying past him because that's the only option but I was, I was well above him <laughs> and uh, he was like, oh wouldn't you fly past me and I was like mate I just wanted to to fly as high as I could and get out there as soon as yeah, I could, yeah. like yeah. just as as big a margin as possible. So, you don't want to be yeah, you want to be the first real. person you want to be the first person who does a wingsuit base jump in the UK, but you want to be the first person who survives a wingsuit base jump in the UK. Who, who can repeat it? Yeah, yeah no, exactly. exactly right. What suit you jump um, in? Um, so I'm supported by by Phoenix Fly. So mm-hmm. um, I had uh, Phoenix Fly Alpine which is uh, one of their big, uh, big high glide suits. Um, but it was, yeah, I, I, it's the same like when I started wingsuit skydiving, 
like I stopped flying that suit for a while just because I thought I wasn't ready. Well, I, I, I knew I wasn't ready. Yeah. Um, it was yeah, it's a beast, man. And I, I had to put it in the closet for two years. Wow. And then, uh, then this year, because of Corona and stuff, I had time and I was getting lots of jumps in, put it back on, felt confident and, uh, and started training in it. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it's, it's good to know where your limits are, you know, and, and think, you know, take a step back and train properly. Yeah, I mean, do you ever, um, so if you've had some time off, say, I'd say there's a few months between jumps and stuff, do you, do you often think, well, I'll just step down a suit for the minute and get myself back and so that my headspace is a bit clearer and I'm not thinking like the, the thought process isn't so much in the jump of, well, I'm flying the big yeah. suit, things can't go wrong. Do you step back for a minute and fly something a bit smaller and then think, well, I can step back up to this in a month or so? I don't, I don't change suits. Um, but I'd change the exit for sure. You know, I, I wouldn't go straight on to a, a non-forgiving jump. Um, but I think most of the time it's better to fly the suit that you know the most. And if yeah. that's the big suit that you've got, then then I go with that. But um, but obviously, yeah, I'd, I'd start the season on, on something nice and gentle and not, not something that's going to be uh, rubbing rocks in my face as I fly down. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you... um. This little, these little videos that you have on YouTube, these little like, uh, they're like film festival um, films, right? Short films, I guess is the best way to describe them. Uh, talk to yeah. me about them, mate. What, what, what was the inspiration for them? What are you hoping to achieve from them? And what do they feature for people when they watch them? So the main, the main one that I've done recently uh, was for my main sponsor, which is uh, Yotna. It's like a, an English. Uh, outdoor clothing brand like a uh, re really high quality kit and uh, and every year they they make a, a series of short films you know to to promote their products and um and tommy always comes to me and says you know what what do you want to film this year and uh and i've always got ideas in the back of my head so this this recent one is called the Iger playground and it's really just looking at um the Iger and my sort of relationship with, with the Iger because it's the Iger's a crazy mountain man it's it's got everything on there it's got the uh the wingsuit exits there's three of them it's got you know this really infamous north face alpine climbing that you know it's it's got a whole load of history on it and um and there's one scary climb and then it's got the the, the west flank that you can ski down um the south face with a big wall climb on it it's, it's got a, a lot to offer you know so it's i spent quite a bit of time on the Iger um and seen and been around some some disasters on the on the Iger. <laughs> so it's yeah it's a pretty pretty cool mountain so it's, yeah, yeah it's, it's just a short film that that looks into that really but uh, it's uh but well, I, I, re I really enjoy the fact that you Tell said like your relationship, you said like your relationship with the Iger. Like I think, uh, like people who are listening won't won't make it sounds cliche and a bit, but people maybe won't appreciate like it becomes like that. And not not. I mean, obviously, I can't speak from a from a week, but with paragliding, it's the same. I have certain sites that want to go paragliding. Really, yeah. Like you're just like this. When I the way just the launch off the which way you fly and what you get to see and I mean obviously you spend a lot more time under a paraglider so I might take off and spend nine hours under my paraglider flying but you know like you do, you do stuff, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, that's that's my big cross country and competition mm-hmm. stuff. Um, that's my that's my big passion. That's really put pay to a lot of my base jumping. Is I think to myself like I could get out paragliding. I go out paragliding, and you know I'm, yeah. I might fly 150, 200 kilometers or something. But you, you that's sort of, yeah, you get, you get like a relationship though with where you're taking off, where the house thermal is, and oh, I climbed out of here last yeah. time. Will it work? And you know, you you do get these the cliche thing of relationship i can understand that from from a mild point of view so from someone who's intimately face to face with the north face of the eiger for a big period of time or exiting off of the off of wherever on the eiger i can understand i can perfectly understand there is a relationship with that mountain yeah man i was, I was a little bit hesitant to say that word but <laughs> you're right it's uh it, it is a relationship. The amount of nights I've spent on there, and, uh, and yeah, it's uh, it's not not a forgiving mountain for sure. There's been uh, a lot of disasters on there, so it's yeah, it definitely is a relationship. But um, yeah, it's a st- stunning place, man. It's... Are you um are you injury free from base and climbing and stuff? Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I, I take uh, I take pride in saying that you know it's um, I've got nearly eight eight hundred uh, base jumps and the worst I've, I I say injury free because no injury has stopped me from jumping you know I've I've had nicks on the finger and you know a bruised heel or but yeah. nothing serious enough to to stop me jumping the next day you know so it's. I like to think that all the decisions I've made have uh, have, have been good enough to <laughs> to keep me going, um, and and I I think that's what I say in, instead of like good luck. I say like make good decisions. You know, yeah. like I say that to all my students. You know, when they when they go home and start jumping by themselves, I'm like not good luck. I'm like just make good decisions. You yeah. know, if, if I'm coaching somebody over a text message. And they're trying to figure out whether this jump's suitable for them. I'm just like, I'll give you as much information as you need, but at the end of the day, just just make good decisions. <laughs> yeah. Somebody once said to me earlier yeah. on base jumping, they once said, uh, it might not be the right decision not to jump, but it won't be the wrong one. And I was like, that's oh, so poignant. Like, you know, like I, yeah. I, I don't jump. It might not be the right decision. I might have jumped. Everything was perfect. The conditions were right. I yeah. questioned myself and I not jump and it wasn't the right decision to jump, but I certainly wasn't the wrong one. Do you know, like I, I've lived to come back another day and jump. Yeah. Yeah. I did. Um, I think it was about two months ago. I was on the, uh, the Matterhorn took the hut wasn't open. So we did like a nonstop push from the Valley floor. We summited about 10 o'clock in the morning after climbing all night. And, uh, and the wind was really, really good. All, all throughout the whole climb and we got to the summit and it was just blowing and uh we wanted a wingsuit off the i think it's the east yeah east face and then fly back around to italy uh so we had all our gear with us like it was so heavy and we finally got to the summit blowing too much and straight away we said nah it's not gonna happen just you know call it off and as we were saying that two of our friends had just climbed from the swiss side and was gearing up in their wingsuits and we're about to jump like completely coincidental we just bumped into these two friends of ours and uh we're like it's pretty windy and they're like yeah but we're we're confident we're good we're gonna jump and uh 
no, for us to say we're not going to jump on top of seeing two people that had yeah. jumped already, you know, it was really, really hard. But yeah. for me, as you say, it's never a wrong decision to, to go back down. It just made it so much harder that we had, you know, another 12 hours to get back down to the car. We had heavy packs and we had just seen two two people jump. But yeah, for us, it just, it was it was a safer call. So, uh, it was, it you was know, people, people had the risk management, didn't they? So it's it's... It's not yeah. to say that they're wrong. It's just to say that not for me. Yeah, I mean, the, uh, like when you start doing this, you you learn from other people making mistakes and a lot of them fatal mistakes. Like I never want to be an example of what not to do. I always thought that you know I don't want to be the example of what not to do. If I when nah. I'm fighting, if I if I make a mistake, I might get elbowed in the face. I might get chinned. Like I could get submitted or something. You know, I've made I've made terrible mistakes in fights and lost fights in the first minute where I'm literally afterwards like, what the fuck happened? Like just made stupid mistakes. You there's mm. no like you don't make stupid mistakes. And if you do make a stupid mistake while doing a wingsuit base jump, you're going to be the next story that's told when people walk up that mountain. Like, oh, yeah. everybody wanted to walk away, but this guy jumped. Yeah, don't don't be the story that people learn from, you know? No, exactly, man. I, I, I want my, my jumping to be sustainable, you know? A lot of people charge hard for a year and then get out or charge hard and they don't have the opportunity to get out because they charge too hard. I just, I just want to be, you know, that flat line, consistent, fucking stay in for as long as possible keep on going <laughs> and i think that's when that's where the the line for you would be adventure athlete not extreme athlete because the extremity <laughs> i like it yeah the extremity is the bit where you know well if i'm an extreme athlete i have to be more extreme than this person and i have to be travis pastrana jumping without a parachute and i have to and then extreme becomes well you're not extreme because so-and-so did this in your concert but sponsors don't invest in extreme they they invest yeah, in right. yeah they want to invest in you because i mean obviously speaking yeah, with you yeah. i know why people want to invest in you because talking to you you're intelligent you're switched on you're you know you've used all your background military etc and you've put it into what you do now and obviously you, you for me are a, a prime example of someone who i would invest in if i had a company that could benefit but that's what companies are looking for. Thank you very much. Unfortunately, <laughs> Cheers, unfortunately I've, got to, I've got nothing to invest, unfortunately. But <laughs> if I did, you're the guy. Um, but no, I think... Uh, Thank you very much. <laughs> you can have uh, everything I, I don't I, have. I <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, no, climbing companies don't want anything to do with, with wingsuiting anymore. You know, they've... They've had so many of their, uh, their athletes die and it's, yeah. Like what I like to try and do now is to try and find, you know, like unique and creative projects, you know, not I can fly this close to this mountain or do this thing that's super, super dangerous because that's not sustainable. It's trying to find those unique sort of niche things and um, using all my skills from skiing and climbing and military and and wingsuit and base jumping to try and find that unique you know sort of sort of project to to get done um and that's yeah it's paying off so far yeah i mean i got um like i, I have friends who have died filming 
films for big companies, Red Bull and people and stuff. And what happens is yeah. Red Bull and I'll use Red Bull for the sake of just not having another company, but I by no means mean that it's Red Bull all the time. I'm just going to yeah. use it. But say Red Bull um, invest a hundred grand in a project and the guy dies halfway through, Red Bull don't put video out. They lose their money. So it's not, that's not the investment they're looking for. They're looking for an investment in their longevity. <laughs> they're going to say, I'm going to release the video and we're going to earn money back off the underground. Yeah. Yeah, for, for me, it's, it's like I've definitely learned over the years of how to deal with like being filmed and being in productions and stuff. It definitely puts an extra layer of pressure on. But it's and it and it has it definitely has killed not not Red Bull but I can there are definitely others that you know people have died on the shoot and it's uh, and you wonder is it is it the pressure of being in that shoot or is it you know something that we're going to do anyway but it just so happens that cameras are there so it's the the one and only time I had like a serious accident you know I, I didn't have any injuries from it I, I walked away. But um, it was definitely because my ego got the better of me because there were cameras all around, you know. So it's so, for, and that was year three of jumping. So you know, I think the fresher you are and the newer you are and the, the more keen you are to impress, the more likely you're gonna gonna make a mistake for sure. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing less impressive than fucking dying doing something stupid. <laughs> like there's nothing and yeah like so i i have this a lot with uh being a coach for for fighting and stuff i find that people want to fight mma or want to be a cage fighter and they want to do all this stuff because they want their mates to say oh you're a you're a pro cage fighter you do this or they want their mates to say like oh awesome you fought here and and fighting's all do you see that a lot you see people coming in because of an ego sort of trip yeah i mean it's not it's not i wouldn't even really say it's an ego thing they they enjoy it they do enjoy it but you can tell that they want to post a picture of them training or they want to be the that they want their mates to be at the venue clapping them and you'll get one yeah. fight show, one fight show that's televised another fight show that's not this fight show is offering them more money and a better opponent but they want to take this one because it's televised and i'm like you, really? What you don't understand is that this has to be about you because you are losing brain cells. You're being punched in the head. Like we know, we yeah. now know the long-term effects of CTE and stuff. Like likes on Instagram are not going to give you back what this sport's going to take from you. So you have to be able. Oh to man, that's the whole other way of looking at it. So like that's yeah. what like leads me to you. I mean, I'm guessing like. Your motivation. Look, the reason I fight is because, or I did fight. I'm possibly retired. Uh, the reason I did fight was because when I went to bed on the night time, I thought about not fighting. I wouldn't sleep. I just wouldn't. It wouldn't make a difference about money or if it was on TV or anything. It was just, you know, like I've dedicated my life to this. I wanna get in a cage and fight another man. Not because I wanna hurt him, but I wanna test what I've done against the guy who's who's done the same, hopefully, and see where it's led me. Yeah. Um, and I guess. My question to you is, you know, like your motivation, I'm assuming, is your own personal achievement, not to make the most money from this sponsor and be pushed in this direction or yeah. get to five million followers or anything. It's simply about this is the stuff that motivates me because it's challenging to me is what that's I'm asking if that's sort of what 
what it is for you. Yeah, man, when you say personal achievement, that's 100% what it is, you know? Coming up with a project for me and then being able to pull that off, that that's the achievement. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, I mean, I mean, sponsorship and all that definitely helps. Like, you, for me, I've, I've got to have that. Otherwise, I, I yeah, wouldn't be able to do these things as much as I can to get consistent and, and pull off this achievement. But I think base jumping being so new, for me, I can actually... You know, I, 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 I keep on dabbling with the idea of going to... Uh, to a getting into fighting, getting into BJJ or getting into kickboxing, you know, going on to one of these camps in Thailand. Like, I, I love I love the idea of it. And I, a lot of my friends fight and have four or I, or I go to fight nights with them or whatever. And I, I, love, I love the idea, you know, that's... It's, yeah. But I, there's no way I could get good at it with the time that I have and the, uh, you know, the age that I am and the other hobbies that I have and, and the dedication that you'd need. So I think for me with base jumping being so new, there are still new things to do in this world for base jumping, like the first one in Vietnam or the first one in, in the UK, that I can still tick those boxes and I can yeah, still... Yeah, well, also what you'll, do, what you'll do, mate, is you'll um, you'll become... Something will break. Something will break along the way when you spread yourself too thin. So the yeah, last sure. thing you want to break is anything to do with your base jump in and also along with that is anything to do with your climbing etc you don't want any part of that to break in any way shape or form because the yeah. consequences are so high so the one area where you could leave it to break would be uh fighting let's say well if if anyone wanted to come into your sport and do it half-heartedly you'd be like oh don't even bother you know you're going to get fucking injured you're going to and it's the same thing now on the back of that i would say definitely start jujitsu even if you can go for six months because you're you're at home and you can manage to go twice a week for six months and then you have three months off. Yeah. So what? You don't want to be you don't want to go and win the ADCC. You don't want to be the the best in the world. You just want to do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu for you. So I would say one hundred percent do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. Definitely, it's a great it's a it's a chess match where people choke you. That's basically what Brazilian yeah, Jiu Jitsu yeah. is. It's, no. it's incredible, yeah. and you're quite cerebral, and so I, I think you would pick it up. And you've got lots of time where you'd be studying moves on a laptop and stuff. But also, you can put it in the closet, and you cannot let it eat into your to your other sport, which is the consequences mm. are so dire. I mean, if you pick up something like you say, you said to me, "I want to fight." I would I would do everything I could to talk you out of it because I would say the commitment you would have to do to fight. You either your fighting's going to suffer or your base is going to suffer. If your base yeah. suffers, you could die. If your fighting suffers, you're going to lose a fight that you could have won. So, mm. but but you can take from that. that, that that's it, man. Like I don't want to do stuff half heartedly, you know. Like yeah. it's but as, as you say, if you don't fight, you can get amongst it and still learn stuff. And but I think most stuff that I do, I want to do it well, really well, and <laughs> and, and use it for something. You know, take take it somewhere. But um, yeah. that, I mean, yeah. that been, uh, and, as, as you say, like two two times a week for six months, like at the moment, like, trying to get the uh, the time, like, just being in one place for six months to get that done, I think would be a bit of a struggle at the moment. But, so what? Uh, yeah. What, so what would you consider a uh, home life? Do you have like a mortgage and a house and stuff, or? 
Yeah, I mean, I've got a, I've got a place um, in Taunton. Um, just so down the road I from you. Rent out one of the rooms. Sorry, mate. You're just down the road, really. I'm in Bristol, so. I know, mate. Yeah, we're gonna have to catch up sometime. Definitely. Um, but uh, but I live, I live in Geneva in Switzerland with a wife. Um, yeah. So I've, I've got this place in Taunton just for like a, for stopovers, just to keep my stuff there and. And uh, keep the mortgage going, but um, yeah, I've been this this year is the first year I've been like full on based in Switzerland, so getting a lot of climbing and jumping done. But you know, at, at the moment I'm offshore, so it's and then we've got a few expeditions planned: January going to Namibia, February going to Kenya, and then um, then yeah, a few few more after. Pretty much a trip each month at the moment, so it's. Yeah, not not in one place for too long. Oh, I'm just sat here, like I'm sat here just so jealous, just thinking, oh, no, to have a trip. I hate it when people say, that. not trying to make people jealous. <laughs> just honestly, just to be like, not from being quite nomadic for that year that I lived in, um, for the year that I lived in America, yeah. and also yeah. at home, at, at home here, I'm always offline birds off paragliding off doing this at a paragliding comp there and people are like, oh you've got some life and then I look at people like you and i'm like oh that must be how they look at me i want, I want to just no. be, I want to be going to namibia and dodging mosquitoes i want to be scared of malaria not covid <laughs> uh, yeah malaria is a scary one i'm not taking those pills but i don't want malaria either so <laughs> you're like catch 22 i um yeah yeah, it does, mate. Honestly, like that that lifestyle. The because I'm in the middle of buying a property now, and part of me was like, all the time I keep looking at camper vans on eBay, and I'm like, one click yeah. away all the time from spending the deposit <laughs> for the property on a massive camper van and just literally. Doing what I'm like. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. The the van life thing I've I've never done. Like it's. Like every base jumper, you base jumps for more than like a season. They end up getting there, especially in Switzerland. You know, it's it's the easy, cheap way to do it. But for me, I don't know. I've got a an estate car, VW Passat, and uh, mm. if I need to, I can sleep in the back of that. So uh, it's got enough space to keep all my kit in, and yeah, it does the job. But um, yeah. there's something also. Yeah, maybe, there's something, maybe one day I'll the romanticism goes out of it, mate. When you have to poo next to where you cook and there's only a piece of plywood dividing you know it's like yeah, yeah. the romance dies my, like... mate, my mate had a pork potty in his like any any it was in the back of the the van where he's got like bunk beds but you know just just one bed but massive gap underneath and he pulls out this porta potty i'm like mate <laughs> there's no there's no dividing screen or anything it's a porta potty <laughs> bungee to the ground I'm like, no, man, that's not the way to do van life. Like, <laughs> no. But this, I can't I mean, that. There's, there's a, an association like dirtbagging, dirtbagging with van life. But there's, yeah. I mean, that's like, I don't want to poo like two foot from where I'm sleeping tonight. It's not, <laughs> yeah, there's a boundary. Nah. I'll choose not a cheap B&B. I'll go for a cheap B&B over that every time. Yeah, I mean that's that's one thing that's changed for me over the the years of dirt bagging. I think, you know, I, I used to like proper rough it, like, 
you know, just pasta every night and yeah. sleeping in laybys. And I still definitely sleep in laybys. Like even the even the wife has warmed up to the idea of sleeping in laybys now. But <laughs> but now and again, you need a little bit of comfort. And, uh, and now and again, I'll, I'll give myself a little upgrade. But um, it used to be, yeah, it used to be like full on saving money wherever and whenever I can. But it still is now just to, you know, treat myself every now and again. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Being able to brush a brush a. For me, it's blow drying my beard. If mate, if I see <laughs> somewhere where I, I can put a blow dryer on my beard and have it all soft again, <laughs> I'm like, I've made it. Oh, I've made it. That that's enough. Yeah, I I grew my beard beard out. I think it was last year, last June. I did um, a sailing trip to Greenland. I hate sailing, but I did a trip to <laughs> Greenland, and I thought. I've got to have a good fisherman beard, you know, and uh, God, the salt water and everything. It was, yeah. oh, it was awful. I, I hated it by the end of it. Like it was, yeah. so now when you're saying like a nice soft beard, I get that because, yeah. oh, it was doing my head. I'll land, I'll land after a paragliding trip or something, a five hours, six hours under my paragliding. I land, take my helmet off. Everyone lands, they wipe their face with their t-shirts because they're a bit hot. I'm like, yeah, great. I'm stuck like this for the rest of the day. <laughs> you can take a comb with you, but it's all the air has been blowing into it. It's all dry and yeah. crunchy. And I'm like, the luxury of oh. being able to brush a beard now would be beautiful. That's what does it. Yeah. <laughs> my, my wife hates it. Anything, anything like this. So this, is, this only happens when I'm away from home. She calls it facial art. So as soon as uh, as soon as I'm back home, it all has to go off. Like <laughs> she hates it, but I, I think I'm going to try and keep it for uh, for Africa. Just a little bit. Get get one of those safari hats on. Look like an old timer African explorer. It actually reminds me of um, there used to be a program. It ain't half ain't half hot, mum. And um, okay, you've never heard of it ain't half hot, mum. It was like a a sixties nah. TV show or something. It was on like UK Gold. I don't know. I don't even know where okay. I know. It was way before my time. And there was a yeah. I was about to guys... say sixties. That's not like <laughs> I don't know why I know. But um, one of the guys on there, the main characters, he's got like one of those like beige hats. It's like a dome. That's and, like, what I need. Facial yeah. hair just like you. You'll be. I can't think of his name, but if you Google it, ain't half hot, mum. It'll come up and. I think that you'd pull it yeah, off. I'll get, I'll get that Google. <laughs> so, um, have you ever seen? I don't know how old you are, but maybe this was a little bit more in our our lifetime. The the Wild Thornberries, a kids show. No. There was one on there. Also, this he looks like the guy from Ace Ventura, the one oh. the one where he's with the, the pet detective one, but he's got yeah. one of those plinth hats, safari yeah. hats, and a beard like that. Like that's that's the look I want, Victorian Ace style. Ace Ventura is a reference I definitely get. The Wild Thornburys, I'll definitely be googling to see. I'm actually, okay. I'm googling it now, so I remember. So it's logged out. I've been hitting the head a lot, so if I don't note it down, I'll forget by like a half hour time. It's gone. Wild Thornburys. I'm, sure, I'm sure it's the Wild Thornburys. It's like. Yeah, some explorer dude on the wild. It was like some cartoon. Yeah, yeah. But, it looks um, like a bit like rug rat looking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, cool. yeah. So what are you um what are you watching when you're offshore? What's your what are your do you do Netflix or Amazon? Are you watching any series or anything? What what gets your attention away from what you do? Yeah, so I've, I've 
Eva always says you need to buy some books. So I, I did. I bought a few books for this trip. Um, there's a really good one I just read. Um, something about the tr true life of a, an assassin. And yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a pretty tell-all story from some uh, some serial killer, pretty it's much. Like a memoir. Which is pretty, uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah, memoir. And obviously, it's all like there's no names or anything, and everything's yeah. changed. But it's yeah, it's pretty damn good, man. Oh, I'm on that. Um, I read, I read a lot at the moment. What's that, man? I read a lot, so I'm definitely that's in my list to have a look at that. Look, I do oh, about a month, so I'm definitely going to look at that now. What else is in your list? Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got it here. Um, it's called I, I am a hitman. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty good. But um, yeah, I, d I don't read too much because I think for these these long trips where I do need a lot of books, you know, yeah. these long trips where I would would read, I don't have the luggage. So it's uh, yeah, I read um. On the Greenland trip again, I, I took quite a few ebooks. I read um, "This Is Gonna Hurt." It's about oh, yeah. NHS. Yeah, yeah, it's good. That's it's good amazing. Book. Yeah, it's a good. Book. Yeah, and then okay. probably the best. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, and the the best book I've like, it actually brought me to tears. It the book is insane. It's called uh, "War Doctor." Yeah, it's a civilian doctor who's been in every major conflict since Bosnia or probably before, but um, been in some insane situations, you know, wow. just just doing his thing and saving lives like it is. And it, it's really interesting Like he talks about um, the sort of need to to, um, to to not feel the adrenaline, but to be amongst it, you know, to feel that risk and uh, and it's, it's definitely sort of a, a theory or an idea that's, that's happened to a lot of people. There's, there's other films and stuff that touches on it where people get home from a conflict or a deployment. You know, there's, there's another one about a war journalist who gets home and she's living this mundane life, you know, going to Starbucks every day and doing a job in the office. And she's like, no, nah, I, need, I need to be back out amongst it. You know, yeah. some people need to have that risk around them, you know, to, to, yeah. to live a life where they're not, you know, where they're feeling fulfilled, you know, and, yeah, happens, and he, uh, he talks about it. Yeah, that, I think that happens a lot with combat sports, with fights, boxing, MMA, you find people still boxing at like 40 because, or fighting yeah. MMA at 40 because they, I, I've been stupid and I've just spread myself about, but lots of people focus loads on this and then when it's over, they're like, oh, that, that, that's me. I was that. They're not, they haven't found yeah. who they are. They've not had anything outside of that. All the adrenaline, excitement, fear, um, happiness, all comes in that environment. So letting it go is like mind-blowing for them. So I should imagine that exponentially exceeds that of a cage fighter or a, yeah. an MMA fighter or anything. Being in those environments must be... And I guess you can obviously relate to it more because you've seen... Because you've been in the military. So when you read those stories, but to look at someone... To look at it from someone else's perspective must be must be really intriguing. But I'm definitely going to look at that. But because I'm fascinated with memoir, I mainly read memoir. I'm in the middle of writing a memoir. Yeah. I've got about half a chapter to go. So memoir for me is like wow. my that's my genre. If I was going to pick one, you know. Yeah. No, same man. That's that's the sort of stuff I like to read. Like, yeah. So it's yeah, a few few books done, and then uh, yeah, I've got one more week left. So it's. Uh, 
slowly winding down now. So. Why did you make that sound like a prison <laughs> sentence, mate? It, we're in a floating prison, mate, for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's you can't just say, ah, oh, one off. Like, uh, yeah. no, it's, it's been good, mate, but six, six weeks is enough for me here. Yeah. Um, but it's good. It's good. It's like there's six other ex-marines on on the ship, and it's uh, yeah, it's surrounded by like-minded people, you know. So it's yeah, it's been good. But uh, definitely time to get off and make the most of my money. <laughs> definitely. What have you got planned when you get off, mate? Where are you heading? Yes, yeah, so we got. Um, you, so I you're get off, off for Christmas, right? Probably get home. Sorry, mate. You're you're off for Christmas. Yeah, just I probably get I'll drive home probably on christmas day so i've got got the long drive from bristol to uh to switzerland on christmas day um even i always do something weird for christmas i think this year we're planning on sleeping in a in an ice cave on a glacier somewhere or something like that and then um then boxing day yeah flying to namibia so it's um yeah amazing stop yeah that would now i understand why it's so prison like where you are you know <laughs> mate i'm listen i'm gonna let you go um i it's been amazing talking to you and i wh- when you're back from your africa stuff we're gonna catch up again and go over what that was like because Sounds i think good, you're not you're the shittest person to follow on instagram because although you're the mate the most amazing person to follow on instagram like I need you to tell me. I need you to. I want to hear what's happened. <laughs> I want to hear the stories. You know, like Instagram is just not enough for what you do. Cheers, bud. <laughs> nah, man, it was awesome. Awesome chatting to you. Hopefully, we can uh, meet face to face sometime. Yeah, definitely, mate. Um, so a little message. Where can people um find you? How can they follow you? What? Where can they go to find all your stuff? Cheers, man. Um, yeah, pretty much. Instagram, Facebook, uh, and my website is all Tim Howe Adventure um, or, or Tim Howe North Base. But e- either one of those will come up. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll tag you for posting stuff anyway. Um, I'm going to hang on. When, once I've ended, hang on. We'll say goodbye personally. But for now, though, mate, thank you very much for joining me. It's been awesome talking to you and hearing your stories. And we'll catch up and do one of these again soon. Nice one. Cheers, bud.